0: Season three, three banana, season three, ma-na-na, somehow ah, it to season three, banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C, with Blanche and John the crew, a new, new movie. movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to, to pee. pee, it's gonna cure your apathy, and I'm wee. We. It's the Slumgullion, slum, slum, slum. slum, we're still booking guests on the Slumgullion, slum, she's not getting
1: guests on the Slumgullion, slum, she'll
0: probably fade on
1: Hello and welcome to the Slumgullion, America's only podcast.
0: Without a, without a Patreon page, page.
1: Without a Patreon page. Yes, we are—we are literally the only one without a Patreon page.
0: <laughs> and that doing. makes us special, and that's why you should listen.
1: Right, because we're cheap and free. <laughs> so there you go. That's an exclusive club. Try to get into that. Who am I? Oh, I'm Scott. Hello, I'm Scott. <laughs> Have
0: things gotten any better three hours in the future?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm three hours in the past. Have they?
0: Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. I don't know where I am right now. I'm sorry. I'm having a doctor moment. Um, no, they haven't. Trump is still talking.
1: Ugh. All right. Well, you know what? If he could do it, so can we. Let's talk. <laughs> we can be we can say equally stupid things, if not more so. In fact, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. We are going to out stupid Trump on this episode.
0: We have before, we will again.
1: Exactly. All all of this has happened before, and it will happen again. And we're going to start off by talking briefly, oh so briefly, oh so very, very briefly, about the Kirsten Stewart, or Kristen Stewart, I don't know, monster movie, Underwater. It's a thing. It happened. It's out there. Just a warning. If you walk into a theater, you might receive a fatal exposure to it. Not not
0: at this point. I'm pretty sure it's already gone.
1: It's probably gone, which is why we, always being on the cutting edge, are going to talk about this monster movie that came and went. It's kind of sad because it was obviously intended to be uh, Cthulhu's comeback vehicle, and it seemed like it just didn't connect with the public.
0: And it's kind of sad that his comeback didn't work because I really liked it. I enjoyed that movie a, a lot.
1: You know, it was surprisingly... Easy to consume.
0: I think that was the entire point. They knew what they were making. They were making a ninety-minute monster underwater monster movie. So fuck plot, fuck characters. Although there were characters, but really there was no fuck extraneous stuff. We're going to get to the meat right off the bat. They're in the shit.
1: Yeah, the the movie has very modest ambitions, and I I I feel personally that it met them. I mean, you're absolutely right. There there is no there is no introduction to anybody. We just open up and. Kristen Stewart is brushing her teeth, and all holy hell is breaking loose. We don't get to know anybody. We don't have any clue where they are. Well, they're underwater. I mean, the the title told us that much. Other than that, really, we we get thrown into the deep end of the pool, to extend the metaphor. And Uh all of a sudden, it's falling apart. It's shaking everywhere. It's leaking like a sieve. People are running around, introducing themselves if they don't know each other, or saying, hell, hey, it's you. Uh, So we know that they do know each other. Uh, T.J. Miller calls Kristen Stewart a flat chested elfin goddess or something like that, which kind of was was a welcome release of tension because she plays the whole most of the movie. In fact, in this sort of bandeau, this kind of sports bra that really it's like, why bother? I mean, what are you concealing? (laughs) Nothing, and then he—they come right. They lampshade it. They lampshade her lack of breasts, and uh, that's fine. Jessica Henwick, I think. God, I should look this stuff up. From uh, I
0: don't pay attention. I don't, and I don't care.
1: Anyway, she played Colleen Wing in Iron Fist she was the best thing in that Netflix. oh that's oh
0: my god holy shit you're right I completely that's why I recognized her damn okay
1: yeah she's speaking in her in her natural British accent so that'll throw you off right away but she's she's as good as this as she's actually everyone's good at it T.J. Miller who I, that's I the thing
0: she, we can ignore ignore T.J. Miller but yeah he was good in the film
1: he was good everybody was fine it ripped off I think six, maybe seven other major movies, but it ripped off the best part. Well, right okay, please.
0: yes, but to be fair, the movies that this film is trying to ape, you know, Deep Star 6, Leviathan, which what, what I was thinking of while I was watching this film also ripped off the same films, so.
1: True, true. It's So it's sort of like like third-generation VHS dupes. It's like you, you had a friend, who had a friend who had Comedy Central in the early days of MST, and you were getting like the Turkey Day Marathon Dubbed off of their VHS copies So, yeah Which I had I had
0: had that I know exactly what you're talking about But but here's the big performance And Scott already spoiled it Yes, fucking Cthulhu was in the film
1: Cthulhu's the big
0: bad. And what's really cool is Cthulhu is the big bad. Like, throughout the entire film, and yes, we're going to spoil this here. Gee, we're spoiling things. What a shocker. It's 2020. <laughs> fucking deal with it. The entire time, you know, we see these, well, we don't actually see them because nothing this film does really well is only gives you little glimpses of the mon- the, the monsters through most of the film. We find out at the end that, that their baby and mama is fucking Cthulhu. Now, when I was watching the film and Cthulhu pops up at the end, I'm sitting there going, wow, that really reminds me of Cthulhu. And then I read an interview with the director where he said that that originally the idea was to make a Cthulhu-like monster for the big bad. But then they found out since Cthulhu is in the public domain, they said, fuck it, let's just make him Cthulhu. So yes, indeed, Underwater is a goddamn Lovecraft movie.
1: It's part of the Cthulhu mythos. Take that, nerds. It's really kind of cool. Elder gods and flat chests.
0: that's going to be that should be the name of a comedy album somewhere it's you know i mean it's nowhere near as batshit insane as color out of space if you're a lovecraft fan see that movie holy fuck it is batshit insane but underwater i just thought was a lot of fun seriously folks when it comes out on vod which should be i would say within the next couple of days considering how it performed at the box office check this puppy out it's not bad it's a fun time
1: It is. I I was surprised. And I will say that maybe in retrospect, I shouldn't have been so astonished because it does revisit a lot of movies that I liked the first time. So why wouldn't I enjoy renewing my acquaintance with The Abyss and Alien and, oh God, how many other people trapped in in a tin can of one sort or another? It's fine. And, you know, the thing I liked best about it was, yes, they were sparing in showing us the monsters which either shows low budget or high confidence. In this case, it could have been either. And also, Indeed. Uh, Kristen Stewart's inexpressive face is a terrific tabula rasa. You can really write any emotion onto that blank canvas that you like. Uh, whatever's going on, she's not reacting to it. So you're free to. You can go, ah, she's scared or she's angry or she's horny. Or now I think she'd like some pancakes. So really, it's 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 kind of a little mini game you could play during the movie, and uh, I enjoyed it. It moves along at a at a rapid clip. There's a, a tiny tiny bit of character development, and yeah, I, I would I would agree. It's it's definitely worth renting.
0: It is a two, even though it was filmed in like 2016 or 2017. It is a perfect B movie. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was very much a 1950s B-movie.
1: It was. And I, I really want there to still be space for that in entertainment. Uh, I think, I think that, that fills an important. And I don't just say that because as somebody who wound up through no fault of his own writing a B-monster movie, I, I just like them. A
0: fun and, uh, B-monster movie. Okay. A, I will say again, a fun B-monster movie.
1: Thank you. Um. So yeah, I have a, I have a soft spot for these things and, and, this touched me in my soft spot.
0: In case you don't remember, it's called Frankenfish. It's a blast. <laughs> Thank you. Why were you not? I like that movie, Scott. I'm sorry. I like that movie.
1: That quote should have been on the poster, damn it. <sighs>
0: <laughs> hey, I've been on a couple of posters, so that's okay. That's
1: true. You have. you, uh, Mike and I have been quoted on, on several box covers, haven't they?
0: Well, granted, they were they were all from the same director, but still, hey. we, we 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 have been
1: on covers exactly. That's no, not like it doesn't count the second time. Okay, we both watched it. We were going to talk about it, and then just because of one thing and another, we're a little late recording. But uh, we're changing up things a little bit. Uh, rather than having our usual for twenty 2020. twenty for twenty twenty exactly, rather than having our usual BS session at the front of the show, and then having the UMC. We're going to alternate. We're going to have one episode that's pure unknown movie challenge. And then we're going to have one episode that's pure Jeff and I bullshitting. And we're going to see how that goes because we've had, I don't want to say complaints. We have had requests. We have felt your outreach. Certain uh, people, more than one, I won't name names, have said, you know what? I really like your show, but I like it best when it fits into my commute. So the, the two-hour episodes are a little much. Can you keep it to like 45 minutes to an hour? So we're going to try that. And in keeping with that, this episode, we're going to look at two TV shows, which are inextricably bound up together in a way that I will figure out at some point during the show. And they're they, both
0: science fiction.
1: They're both. Well, there you go. Okay. All right. I think we need to zero in, maybe a little bit more.
0: And and they are both heavy franchises.
1: Hmm. Absolutely true. And they are both attempts to revive uh, franchises after some spotty performance Tarnish- at the motion at the motion.
0: Yes. Office. Yes. Very true.
1: So the last time we saw Picard was. In oh, we're going to start with that. I think we're going to start with that. We're going to start with that. Let's start with the... Okay,
0: we're starting with... All righty. All right. Now, wait a minute. Now, before we even get... Before we even get any any further into this, uh, I think it, we should, in due diligence, say that um, I am not a particular fan of Star, Star Trek the, the Next Generation, and Scott hates Picard.
1: That's putting it a little strongly. I don't... Please. oh,
0: come on. I don't... <laughs> Yes, yes, you do.
1: Okay, let me put it this way. I think Picard is a character played by a brilliant actor who I have loved since, I think, I, Claudius, where he was playing really quite a scumbag. Um, Yes. But I've always enjoyed Patrick Stewart as an actor. I've always loathed Jean-Luc Picard as a character. Not completely. There are things I like about him. I like the fact that he is very socially maladroit, I love the fact that he's his job is to manage people and he has absolutely no people managing skills. And <laughs> I like the fact that he's sort of shy and that he's a nerd who'd rather be on the holodeck playing Dixon Steel P.I.
0: Dixon Hill. Dick Dixon Hill.
1: Whatever. Basically, he'd rather be in the jerk off room than on the bridge. <laughs> the thing I don't like about Picard is the same thing I don't like about uh, Next Generation in general. They achieved their denouement in one of two ways. Either with some ridiculous bit of, of uh, Technobabble space magic that they pulled out of their ascending colon, which is fine. Or Picard squared his hips, stood Arms akimbo, like he's in the fucking King and I, and delivered an inspirational tongue lashing to some poor guest star, and that solved everything. He gave a speech. I will give Picard credit for this, and I haven't seen it yet. It was just a the coming this season clip. So maybe it's not even in the show. Maybe it didn't make the final cut. But there is the the, the Han solo guy they hired to to fly Picard's ship in this new series says, I heard you were a speech maker. Okay. Yes. You're going to own that? All right. All right. I give you credit.
0: A little more due diligence here. Um, Now, listeners will know this, but again, due diligence. Scott is more of a Star Trek fan than I am.
1: Ironically, yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> as odd as that sounds, given that last speech, that is very... The only Star Trek that I truly like series, like, that like I truly like, is Deep Space Nine. I think every Star Trek has had its share of good episodes, but for me personally, most of them, all of the other series, except for Deep Space Nine, had more bad than good. So, I went into Picard jaded, and I know Scott went into Picard even more jaded than I did.
1: True. And I will just say this. I agree with you about Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine was a, was a very deeply satisfying series. And I think it was smart science fiction, which I don't think anyone in their right mind would say applies to Next Generation next generation Agreed. Of course Agreed. It, it except, is- for,
0: ex- except except for the episode which I will say this I will I will stand on this soul and fight on this soul until I die the episode measure of a man which ties into Picard
1: yeah I I think that it deliberately echoes measure of a man because I don't think there's any question that that is one of the fightest episodes that came out of deep space 9 and if Picard picks the bones of the good stuff I'm with it Or if it just picks some of the worst episodes and just makes fun of them, I'm here for that too. Okay. Here's my theory about Star Trek. I really loved the original series, and it's partly because I was a little kid when I saw it, and it blew my little mind. But what I realized later was the first two seasons are good. The third season's bad because Roddenberry had had checked out. Um, Two words, Spock's brain. Spock's brain, exactly. On the other hand, the first season of Next Generation is awful because... Roddenberry had not checked out. Yes. Now, here's my feeling. The
0: first first season of Next Gen is horrible.
1: Right. And then he died, thank God, and people were free to actually make a show out of it. Now, the first two seasons of Star Trek has a lot of big dick energy, and that's because Roddenberry was getting laid. (laughs) We all know this. We all know this story. He was getting laid. Third season, he wasn't getting laid. He didn't care anymore, and it just sort of spiraled into the toilet. Now... First season of Next Gen, he's too old. He's not getting laid. He's not getting laid at all. And you can tell because it's boring and it's a slog. And then he died. So Picard was always this sort of denatured, schoolmarmish, hectoring, older dude who I freely admit a ton of women find sexy. I don't get it because he is, he is the ultimate mansplainer. No, you know, he's a, he's a mankind-splainer. He has to explain humanity. To everybody, to other humans, to alien species, to everybody. That's Picard's thing. And that was basically Roddenberry's role in TNG. He was an envoy from his fictional universe. He'd he'd come to explain the perfectibility of future man to us benighted present-day primitives and to stamp out any insolent signs of conflict or drama that might get in the way of his utopia. And then he died, and they could go, oh, hey, we can tell stories now. Cool. So, I feel like it started under handicap, but you know what? I still have seen every episode of that goddamn show. And some of them I really love. Some of them I would, re- would rewatch in a heartbeat. And some of them I would rewatch just to get mad at them. It's got that kind of pull over me.
0: I understand. And, and uh, there, are, there are only, I freely admit, much like the, the original Trek, there are only a few episodes of Next Gen that I can even rewatch. Oh really? Okay. But that is, but yeah, oh yeah, there, there 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 is there is a handful, and what's what what I find interesting is several of them actually tie into the new show.
1: Yeah, I think that's deliberate. I I think so far they've been smart about harvesting the canon.
0: I completely agree with you because you know actually getting into Picard I have to say after two episodes I'm enjoying it now I know I had I had said that I was enjoy- I had watched the first episode and I was, was really impressed and before you had watched it so I'm very interested now that you watch the first two episodes what are your thoughts?
1: Well my first thought was when we had this this young woman who was attacked out of nowhere we'd We've barely met her. She is astonished to find out that she's she's a a deadly assassin.
0: With well, oh, by the way, full spoilers. Deal with it. It's twenty twenty. Fuck off. Go on. Yes,
1: it's not even a spoiler because basically a minute and a half into her first scene, she's kicking ass. She's she's going all Jason yes. Bourne on these black clad assassins who have come for her. And they, oh, she hasn't activated yet. Oh God, she activated. What crappy timing do we have? And she kills him and then she goes to find Picard because something in her tells her that she'll be safe with him. Now, I was really prepared to hate this. That, oh, Jesus, is this going to be one of these things where they drag out who she is? No, she gets killed right away. It was so, (laughs) it was so refreshing. I was like, yep, yes! Yep.
0: All right! I was, I was very, very shocked when she died at the end of that first episode. That that was one of the, a couple of times in the first episode where I went, holy
1: shit. And I like the fact that they are not attempting, so far anyway, to make Picard anything but a doddering old man.
0: Pass well, I mean, first off, along those lines, first off, the... There's that phenomenal scene, which I know I told you about before you watched it, um, right before Dodge dies when they're running up the stairs and Picard can't get up the stairs.
1: Right. Now, the only thing I didn't like about that scene where she died, which I loved, is that there's an explosion that consumes her. And then yes. the last thing we see about Picard is he's flying backward about 20 feet through the air. And then yes. he wakes up on his couch. And I'm going, I'm sorry. All I'm going
0: to say about that is Star Trek.
1: I mean, yes. Granted, I'm sure the state of 24th century medicine is amazing. Nonetheless, this guy is a prime candidate for a life alert bracelet, and he goes flying 10, 15 yards. I, you know, far enough for a first down, over concrete. You don't wake up on your couch. You know, if you're lucky, you know, if you got if you got transported out of there at a split second's notice, you'll you'll wake up at a hospital being fed jello by a robot. So. Yes, they are acknowledging his age.
0: Even more
1: importantly in this,
0: in episode two, this completely freaked me out. He has the fucking degenerative disease that he had in all good things.
1: Yeah, I was astonished. But you know what? It, it gives the showrunners a ticking clock. If he's, Yes! Whatever he's going to do, he's got to do it fast before he's immobilized or incapacitated or, or dies. I like the fact that the first episode is not a high school reunion. When nope. I saw when I saw trailers for it, you said, like, "Oh, there's Seven of Nine. What the hell did she ever have to do with Picard?" Oh, there's there's Riker and Troy. Like, oh, is this just going to be a greatest hits? Are they just going to go on tour? Are they going to be at Alpine Valley doing all the hits? The first episode we see now. Do, have we ever seen these characters who were his caretakers before?
0: they were actually introduced in the um, comic book that was the prelude to this
1: okay so in other words no there was a, there that's... was a
0: three episode comic book but but that that sort of that that was released like last year that set this that that set the series up and that's where they were introduced but no we have not seen them before like in movies or tv
1: okay so basically the two people who look after him and run his winery chateau picard are ex Shiar. Are ex Romulan intelligence operatives. I actually like these characters and hope to see more of them, but I think that they're there primarily, at least so far, to explain that, uh, oh, there's another Talshiar inside the Talshiar, because of course there is. Once they've squeezed all the juice out of one uh, nefarious organization, they have to make it into a Russian nesting doll. Oh, and the woman is also there to do some sophisticated computer hacking and database analysis for Picard because he's basically a grandpa who can't program his own VCR. Um, But anyway, I went into Picard with with a tremendous amount of trepidation. Yes. Um, And I was not in any way committed to watching it. I thought, oh, you know, I'll give it a couple of episodes. I mean, I I think that's fair. Um, Yes. But I'm not prepared to hate watch it the way I was with Discovery because Discovery was just so batshit bizarre that... I kind of wanted to see what happened, even if I wasn't enjoying it. But there were characters in Discovery that I liked. Anyway, I went into it knowing that I didn't like Picard. But I like the fact that Picard is an old, trembly old bastard that everybody fucking hates. Yeah. Like Starfleet hates him. They. Yep. He's loathed and distrusted. And he is ending his life in shame and misery. And <laughs> yeah. I, am, I am here for that above
0: and beyond the fact that they gave him that whatever the hell the syndrome he had in next gen pops back up in this i love the fact that you know i have a feeling that we're gonna see maddox i hope it's the same actor but maddox is gonna be a character
1: well they they're bringing back hugh and they got the same actor who played hugh in the series Yep. So I'm absolutely, unless he's dead, they're going to get the same actor who played Maddox.
0: Because I love the fact that by the end of the first episode, I was like, oh my God, this is so directly tied into my favorite episode of Next Gen. This is really kind of cool.
1: Yeah, and I like the fact that Picard has dreams about Data. It makes perfect sense because Data saved his life. Yep. Yep the fact that he's still haunted by that makes me like him as a character. And like I
0: told you, I'm sorry, that opening scene in the first episode where you just see space and they're doing blue skies, a very nice dig to Star Trek Nemesis, by the way, that was such a beautiful shot of space.
1: It was. The, the, the effects on the show so far have been, been cool. Although I have to say... San Francisco looks more dowdy than I've ever seen it. I mean, it looked better in Star Trek IV, where they go save the whales. The buildings all look like, like a mall in Copenhagen. I mean, it's just nothing, nothing. there's nothing yeah, yeah. really startling or amazing about it. Earth looks very mundane. So I can't tell if if that's their way of making the future believable, or if it's just a, a failure of imagination or budget. I was happy, however, to see Allison Pill. I think she's a terrific actress, and she is not. She doesn't get as much work as she deserves. I'm happy to have her along for the ride. And I so far slightly impressed with the woman who's playing in the spirit of the spoilers, let's just say it, Data's daughters or clones or progeny or whatever they turn out to be. Because the one seemed very much like a college student, and the other one seems very much like A scientist. Yeah. Their per- their personalities were, were subtly different. And
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even more so for me, I genuinely want to see where the show goes now.
1: I have to admit, I do too. I thought I knew where it was going. Now I don't. Ah, they've reeled me in.
0: I am genuinely shocked by how much I like this show. Now, granted, I have been bitching for years, and long time listeners will know this about Trek being stuck in the past. So just the fact that we've actually got modern Trek in like modern times is not a a reboot it's not it's not the kelvin timeline this is the prime timeline that we haven't seen since star trek nemesis that excites me just to see how the world has changed but this show i don't i I don't want to compare it to deep space nine but this show has at least in the first two episodes an intelligence and a depth to the characters to it that is reminding me of deep space nine and i am perfectly on board with that
1: I agree with that, and I think it's part of it is because they've set up the fact that there's some hinky, nefarious shit going on below the surface of Starfleet.
0: We've known that for years. I'm just going to say Section 31, you know, I mean, the, 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 the Section 31's influence is getting, yeah. Now, one last thing about Picard before we jump to, um, series number two. And I actually, I have to admit, I'm, I'm glad that you're intrigued by it. That makes me happy. I'm glad that you were able to get over your, your hate and find a fairly interesting show. Um, For those of you who do not know, I'm I'm going into some minor spoilers for possibly the end of this season and season two. I posted this on Twitter because I love this video. Patrick Stewart went on The View and on the show asked Whoopi Goldberg to come on and play Guyan for season two, which I think is kind of cool. And there is a rumor. I do not know if this is true, so please file this under rumor. But if it is, I am totally totally down with it, actually, that one of the final scenes in the Picard season finale is going to involve Q. Oh, God, I hope not. I hate Q. Oh,
1: God, I hate Uh,
0: Q. The only reason why I am really kind of cool with that. Is because looking at Picard as a character, the two most most defining things in his, if you want to call it a character arc, over the course of Next Generation were the Borg and Q.
1: Yeah, they can't let the Borg go, can they? They just can't let it fucking go. No, but consider, considering how you know,
0: I mean, with the whole low I mean, with the whole thing, I mean, I understand it. I may not like it, but and I have to admit, with the writing that they're doing, at least in the first two episodes, granted, just in the first two episodes, haven't seen the rest of the season. It could go straight. It could become a total dumpster fire by the end of the series or by the end of the season. But I mean, if these, if with the writers that they've got on the show, I would be kind of interested to see Picard meet Q again one last time. Uh... I kind of. And honestly, I freely admit, I mean, they they did overuse him in Next Gen, but I love John Delancey's performance. And if they actually got him back, I would be totally on board with it.
1: You know, the only way I would be on board with it would be if he showed up. You know, John Delancey is aged like everyone else. Yes. They spent some money to de-age him, Nick Fury style. And then he stopped the car and goes, oh, God, what a wizened old raisinette you've turned into. Here, let me make you feel better about yourself. And then we see John Delancey as he is today. Okay that excellent. would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? I completely,
0: I completely agree with you. Hey, hey Picard people, if you're going to use Q, listen to us. That's a phenomenal idea.
1: I agree. I agree our ideas are great.
0: I, <laughs> But okay Alright, wow, that, that that makes me happy That you're at least interested in the show Because like I said, I was very shocked By how much I enjoyed the first two episodes And I am very interested to see Where this show is going Now, moving on to a Another show That I am also very interested To see where this show is going Holy fuck, the last, last Two episodes of The Mandalorian
1: Wow. I don't know what the hell is going on at Disney. They are dealing with the fact that they took the poison pill in human form that is Kathleen Kennedy along with the property. They swallowed all that whole and now she is giving them a tummy ache in the form of, say, The Rise of Skywalker. But you know what? If it's Kathleen Kennedy-less content... Star Wars still has power. And as much as I really, really thought that this thing was going to take off like a skyrocket because we were all interested in it, we were all hoping it was going to be good, and then just power dive into the dirt, hasn't done that. It's gone from strength to strength. And now it's got to the point where every single shot of that last episode is a what the fuck.
0: First off, the penultimate episode, I believe I sent you a holy fuck. You did. Yes. Only because I know so many people were complaining about the well, not so many people, but a lot of people were complaining about the episode of the weak nature of the. Of the series up until that point I was perfectly fine with it because like I said when we first started talking about to me it felt like lone wolf and cub with Star Wars but then that penultimate episode thread started coming together
1: yeah there there were complaints and I think they were legitimate that, that some of the episodes did not advance the story that much but Star Wars wears its origins and its influences on its sleeve it's clearly yes Buck Rogers it's clearly Flash Gordon. It's a Saturday morning serial from the 1930s. And those things were episodic and they treaded water. They spent a lot of time recapping stuff because it padded out the episode. So I was fine with it. But even the the episodes that didn't necessarily advance the broader narrative were still good. It was still yes. fun. And I have to say, the fact that Gina Carano came back for the last part of it made me so happy because I thought when yes. she made a, a big impact on me. Now, granted, I'm a Gina Carano fan. I've loved her since she was a, a UFC fighter. Okay. Um, I followed her kickboxing career. I'm probably one of the few people who saw Haywire. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think
1: you are. And, you know, it's like, oh, she's not a great actress. Well, you know, she's better than Van Damme. And she's getting better.
0: Yes, she is. She yes, is she is. White. I mean, I think she did some stuff in the finale that I thought was just amazing. Her scene, her, her, her scene not wanting to leave uh, Jin in the finale was just phenomenal.
1: Yeah. And there's a guy I follow on Twitter who's an U.S. Army engineer. His handle, I believe, is Angry Staff Officer. And he's got a great website called Angry Staff Officer, where he, he will analyze the battle scenes in Star Wars or in Lord of the Rings, anything geeky, sort of like as an after action report, okay. uh, analyzing how tactics work and strategies and how uh, opportunities were exploited or not, combined arms were utilized. It's just funny and fascinating. Okay, He, he said two things about the episode. One, In any other show, Kara would have knelt down beside him in the middle of that firefight when he was first wounded. said, are you okay or whatever? And he says, no, she doesn't say anything to him. She just combat carries him out of of the line of fire, which he loved. She is a rebel shock trooper and acts like it. And he was saying that whoever wrote that scene in the beginning of the last episode where the the two scout troopers have baby Yoda and they're they're killing time waiting until they can come into town and they're taking ineffective pot shots at Rock. He said, whoever that is, Served or knows someone who served? Well, here's
0: it. here's here's the story behind that. I can actually give you a little bit of info on that. I had first thought that that was a bit of Taika Watiti's influence because that feels like a Taika Watiti scene. It really does. However, I found out that Jon Favreau wrote that scene because he apparently contacted Jason Sudakis, who plays the, the, the trooper that actually punches Baby Yoda. Uh-huh. He contacted Jason, however they pronounce his name, and said, hey, I have a part for you. So that that is apparently a Favreau scene. He wrote that. He probably wrote that knowing that Taika Waititi was going to be directing that episode.
1: Well, I'm sure because he's also the, the showrunner and, and has a say in that. Yeah, movie. I'm pretty
0: sure he is like, "I'm going." this is a scene that Taika Waititi will love making.
1: It does have the Taika Waititi feel to it because it's two guys in an extraordinary situation talking about utterly mundane stuff, which reminds me a little bit of like uh, things we do in the shadows,
0: but... Yes, yes, very much, very much so.
1: But if you look at Favreau's writing career, going back to swingers... Very true. That kind of low-key cringe comedy is definitely in his wheelhouse.
0: By the way, there have been rumors that, that, that Lucasfilm is now like talking to Taika Waititi about doing an actual Star Wars film. Fuck yeah, please.
1: Yes, yes, he, he revitalized the faltering Thor franchise. I'm sure he can do the same thing for Star Wars.
0: I'm convinced. Especially considering even though he did not write that final episode, that was a visually amazing episode. I mean, that finale. And okay, the geek in me, when Gideon popped out of that TIE fighter with the Darksaber.
1: That raises so many questions. What the hell happened in the Night of a Thousand Tears? Apparently Obi-Wan's girlfriend is dead
0: oh well we oh well yeah absolutely
1: and why can he wield the lightsaber i thought you had to have some well, i guess not because
0: the last time we saw the dark saber, you know sabine had given it to bo katan in rebels right
1: and that was the last time we saw it now that you mentioned it sabine who is not force sensitive was trained to wield it in one of the best rebels episodes
0: so I was gonna say, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's what's his name? I can't think of his name now. What the hell was his name? <laughs> Jesus, Freddie Princes Junior's character. What yeah. the hell was his name? It's with a K, Kanan, Kanan, Kanan. Kanan that's right. Yeah, Jarrett, him, the Jedi. The Jedi taught, taught Sabine how to use the Darksaber. The, the lightsaber wasn't about Jedi power. I mean, the dark saber was about political power.
1: Well that's what it became. Yeah, it became like the the English Crown Jewels. It was a it was a symbol. Yes.
0: Yes. So how how the fuck he got it, Lord only knows. I'm wondering if we're going to see a a young um Moff Gideon in the Siege of Mandalore storyline in the Clone Wars.
1: Well, the Siege of Mandalore only took place like three or four years earlier, didn't it? Before, the, before uh, the, isn't this right after? This is like like within a couple of years after the the Battle of Yavin, right? I'm honestly that I'm honestly
0: not sure. I genu I, I would assume so, at least as far as that goes. Which is why I'm wondering if we'll see like a younger Moff Gideon in the uh, Mandalore storyline in Clone Wars, where he might first learn of the Dark Saber.
1: That'll be interesting to see. I mean, they they are becoming the the, the Star Wars stuff is all becoming. Very marvelesque in the way it's it's threading together.
0: Very true. And another fun another fun thing, a lot of people took those two stormtroopers at the beginning of the finale of Mandalorian to as a reference to Tog and Bink. Do you know who Tog and Bink are?
1: Oh, you've tutored me on this before, and I have forgotten. They're characters from a comic book, right?
0: Tog and Bink are the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Star Wars. There was a comic called Tog and Bink Are Dead.
1: Yeah, (laughs) okay.
0: And it's these two guys who are on the outskirts of every major important thing in the original trilogy. (laughs) And the dialogue between those two troopers in that finale of The Mandalorian is very much like what... Very much Tog and Bank. So, I mean, they may not be Tog and Bank, but I I know, I know Favreau knows who those characters are.
1: Oh yeah, there there are winks and nods and callbacks to all kinds. I mean, this is just, this is like a, a it's Easter with all the Easter eggs.
0: Oh, and one last thing before we go, because we are approaching that time. Can I ju- just say that the Mandalorian armorers fight with those stormtroopers was probably the best fight in the entire series? He just knocked them all down, even though they had guns with just her forging weapons?
1: Oh, the the armorer queen. Yes.
0: Yes. Fucking loved that fight scene.
1: This show is going a long way toward repairing the reputation of the Mandalorians, which has been, let's face it, undercut and trashed by Boba Fett and Daddy Fett. All the Fets basically, have made the Mandalorians look like jackasses. Like I said, Very I said true. Boba Fett ends his days as a, as a suppository. And here, here's something one last thought. When I was watching the last episode of The Mandalorian, knowing it was directed by Taika Waititi, I was struck by how much it reminded me of Jojo Rabbit.
0: Uh, watch that fucking movie! Oh my god, go on, Scott. Uh,
1: I agree, and I, I I I endorse that view. The scene where he's his parents <laughs> yeah. his parents tuck him in this basement or this cellar and immediately get murdered by robots and. He's about to die. And then he gets saved by Mandalorians. It's like, this is kind of another side to what the kid in Jojo Rabbit experienced. Because basically, this kid gets caught up in a fascist, militaristic cult with very iconic-looking uniforms and brainwashed into their ideology.
0: And by the way, another Star Wars deep cut, you recognize those Mandalorians, correct?
1: They're Death Watch, right?
0: Okay, good man, good man. Yeah, that was fucking Death Watch.
1: So yeah, I mean, the the Mandalorians basically are, I don't want to say Nazis, but they are a cult. And they're a scary cult. I mean, to the point where you cannot take off your hat or you're out of the club. And yet, somehow this show is making all of these silly rules and rituals believable. Not sensible, because that sort of thing never is. But I can see why someone, especially someone who experienced trauma as a child, would be attracted To this sort of Manichaean dogma. Because with the Mandalorians, this is the way. Meaning there's only one way. It's very binary. It's it's black or white. It's off or on. And there's really no room for nuance or ambiguity in the Mandalorian way of life. Which, again, reminds me of Nazis. And I don't want to compare the Mandalorians to Nazis. Because that's facile and reductive. And I don't think they're going for that, nor are they going for a more contemporary parallel to the three percenters or militia types or uh, those Oath Keeper assholes that infest YouTube. because the Mandalorians serve, serve a function in the Star Wars ecosystem, and there's no need for a warrior subculture in modern American society. It's a different matter in the chaos of post-rebellion space, and it's easy to see why a child who's, who's lost their parents in, in, in war would be attracted to that kind of strength you know you, you never feel more powerless than when you're a child it, just as there was a sense of national trauma in germany after his loss in world war one which the nazis exploited to achieve power so i guess what i'm saying is in case it's not obvious i think the mandalorians are a very fun storytelling device but if you scratch the surface at all they are dangerous violent lunatics half in love with death and maybe shouldn't be taken in foster kids uh, you know if later in the series Bando's success with Baby Yoda inspires him to open up a daycare. I'm not going to give it a good Yelp review. I'm just not. <laughs> um, now, unlike Jojo Rabbit, where you see the title characters, uh, Faith in Hitler and the Hitler Youth crumbling, as as Germany collapses in the final days of the war, Mandalorian culture is basically extinct. I mean, there's apparently small groups of survivors who daren't show their face or their helmets above ground. You know, they're living in tunnels like rats. They, if anything, have become more fanatic. I mean, this seems like it would be a good time for uh, an adopted kid who was raised in this militant culture to go, you know, maybe this isn't such a good idea. No, nope. he is, if anything, more committed to the way. And I have a feeling that just based on the first season, that is going to be increasingly tested, which makes me feel better about the show. It makes me think that they're not trying to glamorize the Mandalorian philosophy too much because... it's already sort of falling apart for him. He's spoken his name, or at least had it revealed. Apparently that's a big no-no because it hasn't been uttered aloud since he took the veil or whatever they call it. And he has exposed his face to, well, not not to a person, but, you know, to a robot, which is a gateway drug for facial exposure. And I have a feeling that that his beliefs are, are going to be shown increasingly inadequate. And yet that's sort of what makes him interesting as a character. Anybody else would go, ah, this kid's a lot of work and attracts a tremendous amount of trouble. Maybe I'll just drop him off at one of those fire department child depositories. No, he's been told by his own conscience and explicitly by the Armorer Queen that baby Otis is his responsibility and he has to either reunite uh, him with his people or raise him in, in their clan of two in the Mandalorian way. So I don't think that's going to happen. But it, it's such a fascinating setup that you've got basically a Mandalorian uh, who's accepted into his bosom, the Mandalorian's traditional enemy, force users. It's it's interesting that, that, that a society that has such a strong oral history tradition, every time something, some great battle occurs, like, oh, they're going to sing about this. They'll be writing songs about this. And yet there don't seem to be any hit tunes about the disastrous Mandalorian Jedi War. He, he's basically never heard of these wizards so that's a weird thing but you know what it's a big galaxy lots of backwaters i i I just kind of hope the show goes toward him finding out that these sort of rigid cults have limited application in the wider world and that stricter adherence to it to these rules and regulations is not the way i hope he finds out that the way is to ease off the way but we'll we'll find out. He has more compassion than you would expect from someone who works as a bounty hunter.
0: Very, very, very true. And I I absolutely loved that one shot. I'm I'm so I'm sorry. I, I freely admit. I freaking cheered when the Mandalorian armor armorer said, "You are now a clan of two.
1: Me too. That was that was oddly touching. It was. It really, really was. Because I mean, most yeah, he had no clan. He was a he was a foundling, so he wasn't born into a clan. And most of the clans have been decimated anyway. They're all refugees. So they they have to rebuild.
0: And just just for symbolism, I loved how that shot of uh, Mando Jin taking off with his backpack holding baby Yoda was an exact replica of the Death Watch guy taking baby Jin off.
1: Yeah, I I like the way things are paying off and the way things are are bookending. The reason I like it is not so much that it's effective storytelling, because it is but because it shows that Favreau has really thought through this storyline. Yes. That they're not just making it up. And you know what? It's one thing in the old days when you you had 32 episodes a season to do. Yeah, you were tap dancing the whole time. They were making stuff up as they went. They were repeating things. But, you know, they've got eight episodes. It's not that big a deal to map it out and stick to it. But still, some some people still don't do it. Or they start off in one way. They get some pushback from fans. And they try to retool, and then everything's a mess. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about those things. So I, I have complete confidence in Favreau as a storyteller and as an inheritor of the Star Wars legacy. I feel like he's got not only respect for it, but knowledge. So far, seeing this, he's bringing the same sort of mojo to the Mandalorian and the Star Wars universe as Kevin Feige, who's a big comics nerd, has brought to to Marvel. Agreed. I mean, you can have people who are comics literate and still narratively illiterate can muff telling a larger story, but I don't feel like that's happening here. And I cannot wait. It's killing me that I got to wait for the next season, that there is not another episode next week.
0: I know, I know. It, the Mandalorian, watching that finale, it was the first time since the days of Battlestar Galactica when I went, fuck, I've
1: got to wait this long for new episodes. Ah. Ah. exactly this is the reason why as big a mess as the rise of skywalker was and frankly it was a mess i mean let's be honest Um, yes the reason I, i i'm not as angry about it as a lot of people are is because i still the mandalorian is a clear demonstration that good stories can still be told in the star wars universe that star wars can inspire exciting new tales and and new characters that draw you in and I feel like eventually they're going to find the right people to tell those stories. I feel like some of the people in the executive suite have to go because I think there have been some bad decisions made at that level. But there are people who, who are John Favreau's age and our age who grew up with Star Wars, who love it, who know it, and who could bring something new to it. My faith in the whole enterprise has been renewed by the Mandalorian, and I, I am so excited to see where they go next with it. Not just with this, but with Star Wars in general. I feel like TV is going to – I was really excited for this Obi-Wan show but. It's it's one step forward, eighteen steps back.
0: Yeah, yeah. And on that note, that's actually a beautiful place, except for the Obi Wan, to uh, end this episode. I'm being kind Nazi here, see Kyle. So <laughs> that is it. We will see you not in two weeks, but in one week with our UMC, and we'll tell you what the UMC is then. So until later. Later.